but uh, it's good to see all of you here. If you're a guest with us uh, this morning, thank you so much for taking time out of your week and your day to be with us. We just hope that uh, you enjoy your experience, you feel comfortable, uh, but more importantly, you just get a sense of the love and the presence of God in this place and that you can walk out of here different uh, than when you came in this morning. You know, what we do here, I say this quite often, but it's more than just something that we do. It's more than just a date on our calendar or uh, a checklist of things to do to mark off for a week. We come here because there is life, and in Jesus, he's, he's all that we need. And I'm super excited because today we begin a brand new sermon series, and I don't quite know what the end date of the series is going to be, but I'm excited because the, the title of it is Encounters with Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a walk to the Gospels with Jesus and see the people that he encountered and talk about what was their felt need, what was going on in their life, uh, what, were they, what were they experiencing, and how did Jesus respond to them, and what he did for them. And what's really unique is, is that um, I've wanted to do this series for, for quite a while. Actually, I wanted it to be the first series that I did uh, after we transitioned. And it, how many of you remember what I preached on on June 22nd? That's what I thought. Uh, so that'll, that'll be good because nobody remembers. Um, but <laughs> I preached a message out of Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. And I'm going to preach out of the same exact passage today. My, my intention back then was to preach that message and then two weeks later go right into this series. But I think that uh, God kind of reserved it for this time. And we just spent five weeks talking about uh, the four core promises that God has for us. It was titled Four Cups. And those promises are the promise of salvation, the promise of freedom, the promise of restoration and fulfillment. And here's what the amazing thing is, is that Jesus is in himself the fulfillment of every one of those promises. He is the four cups. And what we're going to see as we go through this series is how Jesus encounters these people and then he offers them one, if not more, of these four cups, these four promises in their life. And I want to say this right from the beginning. My prayer and my heart for this series is, is that every single person and has an encounter with Jesus. And not the historical fact that he lived and the stories that we, we read, but the, him as a real person. Because just as he was alive and active and engaging people, uh, as we read about it and hear, he is alive and active and encountering people on a daily basis. He is the reason that we are here today. He, this whole Bible is about Jesus. In the old, he's concealed. In the new, he's revealed. And my heart is that every single one of us on an individual level and on a corporate level have a real, personal, and just fresh encounter with the person of Jesus and that it goes beyond these four walls and that our city would have an encounter with Jesus. I am convinced that if we really encounter the person of Jesus Christ, we cannot be the same. We cannot be the same. That we'll encounter him in all of his, his glory and his, his power and his grace and in his truth. And we just cannot help but be the same. So if you would, go with me to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. And this message may sound familiar as we go through it. But the reason why I want to come back to this message is not because I was just looking for something to preach this week and dug something out of the file. It's very important for us as we go forward because it lays the foundation for why Jesus came, the kind of people that he came for, and what he was going to do for those people as he encountered them. As we gain this understanding, we're going to see it's basically Jesus' job description, his MO, and we're going to use this every week to see the people that he encountered. So go with me, Luke chapter 4, 16 through 21. Uh, we're going to read it, and as we read it, I just want to give a pause in between and just give a little bit of context and history of what's going on. So the first part of Luke chapter 4, uh, what's going on? Jesus has just come through 40 days spending in the desert being tempted by the devil. 
And the, and the devil had been tempting him and trying to get him to doubt the fact that he was the Son of God. He would ask him questions like, if you really are the Son of God, then do this. And if you really are the Son of God, then do this. And he kept using that word, if, 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 as to call into question the divinity and the fact that he is the Son of God. And Jesus comes through that successfully after 40 days. He goes to Galilee, and the Bible says that he comes in power, ready to begin his ministry. And from Galilee, he comes to Nazareth. And Nazareth is his hometown. It's where he grew up. And this is what it says. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. I want to pause here. So Jesus is in Nazareth, his hometown where he grew up. They had service every week, just like you and I have service every week, and it was his custom to go to church. And here's what I want us to understand and to get this mental picture of, that these people did not view Jesus as the Son of God. They did not view Jesus the way that you and I know Jesus and view him today. To them, he was just Jesus, and I mean no disrespect. He was the young boy that grew up in Nazareth that ran around. He was the carpenter's son. He was just like any other boy in their eyes, not saying that's who he really is. So, and he was just going to church like he normally did on a regular weekly basis when he was there. And their services consisted of, they would do different readings. They would do a reading from the books of the law, which are the first five books of the Bible, and from different passages. And they would do a reading from the book of what's called the prophets. And Isaiah was a prophet. And he had written uh, a book, and a lot of the book of Isaiah is what's called a messianic prophecy. It's talking about Jesus and that he would come. But it was written hundreds and hundreds of years prior. And it just so happens that on this day, the day that Jesus has come back from being tested in the wilderness, the day that Jesus is going to begin his ministry, that it's re- this reading from the book of Isaiah, from chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, a prophecy that is concerning himself. So for these people, it's just Jesus, right? But Jesus, he obviously knows what's going on. And what we read next is something that we've, most of us have, have heard before, and if you were here June 22nd, you heard it. Is Jesus is going to read this thing concerning himself. But these people are going to hear it in a way that they've never heard it before. They're familiar with this passage. These people were very familiar with the scriptures. They, had, they studied them. It was part of who they were. But they're going to hear the one whom it was written about, the one who wrote it because Jesus is God. They're going to hear it read in a way that they've never heard it before. And Josh, why are you saying all this? Because I want us to engage with the text in a way that's life-giving. I want us, through the course of this series, to read the Bible in a way that it comes alive to us. How do we do that? We have to ask God for help. I don't want us to look over this and say, yeah, I've read that before, I've read that before, and skip down to the parts that jump out of us. I want us to read it and really believe that it happened, and really believe that as God says that his word is alive and active and powerful, and just to kind of set the stage. And this is what happened. Jesus gets up, the attendant hands him a scroll because they didn't have a completed Bible yet. Hands on the scroll, he opens the scroll up, and it says it finds the place where it was written, and this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book or the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what did he do? 
He reads this scripture concerning himself. Then he has the audacity to go and sit down. Everybody's watching him because they're fixed on him. If you read just a few verses after that, it says, All were amazed. And they're sitting there waiting with bated breath to what's this guy going to say next. We just heard this read in a way we've never heard it before. And this is what he has the audacity to say. Today, this scripture that you've read, and not only that you've read before, that your ancestors and your grandparents and great-grandparents and throughout the centuries have read, today it is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is essentially saying to them, I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. That's what's going on here. It's incredible. So if you would, let's pray and we'll go forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here this morning. And we just ask you from the onset to help us to encounter the person of Jesus in a way that we never have before. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, because Holy Spirit, your job is to reveal Jesus. You lead us into all truth, and Jesus is truth. So open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts so that we can see things we've never seen before, hear things we've never heard before, and encounter Jesus on a heart level in a way that truly transforms us, that he'll be fresh and new and real and powerful, and help me to speak this message effectively, efficiently, and quickly. And everybody said, amen. Uh, I've got, just got two questions before we go forward. Uh, how many of you in here would say that you just got it all together? How many of you want to raise your hand? Oh, all right. You've got it all together, right? You, you, you know, your house is straight. Your linen closet is actually divided up between towels and rags and other things like that. And your, your uh, pantry looks like it has some order to it. Like, you've got all your ducks in a row. You've just got it all together. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of one of those people that I don't really think I have all my ducks in a row. In fact, I don't know how many ducks I have or where they're at. Anybody can... You can test it. I don't even know where my ducks are. You know, I, I, I wish I had it all together. And some of us have it together on different levels. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I feel a really big pressure in, in the world today to have it all together. I feel like I got to have all my stuff uh, in a line. And if I don't, then certain things aren't going to happen for me. And I, and I think that, that some, on some level that's true. We do need to have things in order. We need to have our finances in order, right? We need to have our household in order as far as who's in charge, us or the kids. You know, I've got a three-year-old, so you know, that's a, that's a constant battle right there. We, we need to have some things in order, but there's this really great pressure to th- think everything in my life has to be just so, so that this will happen, or that will happen, or that person will recognize me and give me this. And, and we struggle with this, this idea of having it all together, and then we come to church, and we just believe that everyone else in the building except us, you know, they've got it all together. And we're the only one that doesn't. And then that speaks to kind of a a deeper level where we really believe that in order to engage with God and for God to do what he said he would do, we have to have it all together. That we have to have everything perfect in our life. That we have to be doing all the right things for God to help us pay that bill. For God to help restore this relationship that we're fighting so desperately to, to bring back. That God would help us get this job or would do this thing. And if we would just get it together, then God would do his part. I don't know about you, but that's a struggle that I have on a consistent basis. And I just want to say at the onset of this series that God is not looking for you, nor did he ever require in his word for you to have it all together before he would do his part. And what I mean is is this, is God is not waiting for you to qualify for him to be moved to work in your life. God isn't waiting for you to get your every piece of your life in order and be perfect so that then he can deal with you. 
It is all contingent upon Jesus. And Jesus was the only one that's ever had it all together. He was the only person that walked this earth that his ducks were in a row at all times. He knew where all his ducks were at all times. He was the perfect one who walked on the face of the earth. He came not for a world that had it all together, but for a world that was broken, a world that was in desperate need of a Savior. And what we read here out of Luke, verses 18 and 19, which is a, a reading, a rereading of Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, is a description of who Jesus came for. The kind of world that he came for, the kind of people that he came for, and not just who he came for, but what he said he would do. And what I want us to recognize is the next few moments that we have is, is that it's okay to classify yourself as not having it all together. Doesn't mean we should stay there. But it's okay to connect with the description here of the people that Jesus came for and say, I was, I am, I don't want to be, but I, I fit that category. So what we're going to do is the next few moments talk about who he came for, what that means, and what he came to do. So here's who he came for. He breaks it down. He says, the poor, the brokenhearted, those in bondage, the blind, and the oppressed. I want to go through those. He said this. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So God, his Spirit is upon me. He's anointed me. What does anointed mean? It literally means he has conferred upon me. He has set me in place. He has commissioned me and given me everything that I will need to do what? To do this, to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, who are the poor? This is what the poor means. It means utter helplessness. It means complete destitution, afflicted and distressed. Now, when we hear the words poor, we, hear, we automatically tend to think of someone who financially has no money. They have no home. They have no place to sleep. And they're just broken. They're broke. And they, you know, they can't afford anything. And on one level, that's true. But it's a deeper level. Jesus is talking about those who are poor spiritually. Those who are poor emotionally and psychologically. How many of you know people that seemingly have everything they have money, they have the house, they got all this, but inside they're poor, right? Inside they're just destitute. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's come to preach to those who are spiritually poor, who are utterly helpless. Everything that they've tried to do, every piece of their life has only culminated in the fact that they still need something. Like we talked about last week in fulfillment, and Billy Graham is famous for saying this, every single person has a God-shaped size hole in their heart, and he is the only the one that can fulfill it. And those of us who have been, or maybe currently are, in a position where we have been utterly helpless, completely destitute, afflicted, and distressed with all the problems and the things that we go through in life. That's the first qualification or description of who Jesus came for. Those people don't have it all together. Then he says, the brokenhearted. The brokenhearted, it literally means to be broken into pieces, to break the strength or power of someone, to break or strike against something. All of us here in the room can say at one point in our life or another, or maybe even currently, we have been suffered a broken heart due to the loss of family or our father or mother or the loss of a friend or what someone has done to us in a relationship that has hurt us. We have been brokenhearted due to something. And so, again, this is on, on two levels. The, the surface, yes, brokenhearted by life, 
But then there are those who are brokenhearted spiritually. A position which they cannot get out of on their own. They cannot lift themselves up out of on their own. So that's the second one, being brokenhearted. The third is those who are in bondage. And this literally means anything, any person that is held captive to the imprisonment or bondage of sin. A few weeks ago, we talked about the, the promise of freedom, which, or, or the, the buzzword, which is deliverance, meaning that God will set you free, not just from sin, the penalty and punishment of sin, but any addiction that you struggle with in your life. So Jesus came for people who were bound up with sin because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They could not free themselves from it. They could not do enough good to undo the sin that was in their life. People that are bound up today in some sort of addiction, whether it be drugs or alcohol or sex or worry or fear or negativity or whatever the case may be, being critical, right? Whatever the case may be, there's usually something in our lives that has a portion of control over us. And Jesus came for those people. He also came for the blind. Those who are spiritually blind. Not just a physical blindness of being unable to see, but a spiritual blindness that they cannot see who Jesus is. They cannot see who God is. They have no ability within themselves to recognize that God is who he says he is, and then they would want to believe. So the blind. And the last one is the oppressed. And this is a lot like brokenhearted. Those who have been broken and shattered by life situations. People who, who don't have a physical ailment, but seem kind of hunched over because of the, the stress of life. I don't know if you've ever felt just a weight on your shoulders, although it wasn't physical, it was what you were going through in your life, and it literally felt like Life was weighing you down, and your posture was affected because of everything that was going on inside of you. The oppressed. Now, you may say, that is, um, that is quite the description of people, and I don't find myself to the degree that Jesus is talking about, and that's great. But my point is in this, is these are the kind of people that Jesus came for. I want to say it like this, Jesus came for humanity. Because in John chapter 3, verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And then it says, later on in the Bible, it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then it says a little later on, not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us. All the more proving that God was not looking for people who had it all together. God was not looking for the perfect person to come down, to send his only son Jesus to come down, to make the penalty to make the, the, pay the price of the penalty and the punishment for sin. He was looking for people who didn't know where their ducks were in a big way. And what I love is that it doesn't just stop there and say, this is how bad it is. Then he goes on to say, this is what I came to do. Well, actually, he said what he's going to do, preceding the description of the person. So what did he say he was going to do? He said he was here to do six things. Number one, for the poor, he came to do what? The first thing that he came to do, which I love this because this is the first cup, to preach the gospel to the poor. He came to bring salvation, right? He came to bring salvation. And we talked about salvation. There is no greater miracle. There is no greater promise of the four core promises than salvation. It is the greatest miracle in the world. Nothing trumps it. 
not financial provision, not physical healing, not being set free from an addiction, because it all begins in salvation. So the first thing that Jesus came to do was to proclaim the gospel. What is the gospel? It literally means good news. Paul said that the gospel was the power of God unto salvation. So Jesus came to those people who were utterly helpless, completely broken down and afflicted to preach the good news. And what's the good news? You've done all this stuff. You got yourself where you're at. But I, the Son of God, from my Father, have come down to make payment for the penalty and the punishment of everything that you did so that I could give you the life that I live and I'll take your stuff on myself. And I'll give you forgiveness, and I'll give you eternal life, and I'll give you a relationship, restoration with the Heavenly Father. That's the good news, that it's not about what you've done, it's about what I'm about to do. He hadn't done it yet, but he's literally proclaiming, I've come to this earth to suffer the eternal punishment of the way that you've lived your life. That doesn't make much sense, but that's the gospel. What do I have to do? You don't have to do anything. You receive it by grace through faith. Another work of what Jesus came to do. So that's what Jesus, first thing, to preach the gospel. The second thing he said he's going to do is this. He came to heal the brokenhearted, to cure and restore, to mend those broken hearts and those broken lives. He first is going to preach salvation, save your soul for eternity. Secondly, he's come to bring healing because you still have to live on this life, right? Live on this earth. There's still a vertical, uh, you vertically, he took care of you. Now, horizontally, you have to live your life. So he's going to bring healing and restoration to those broken hearts and broken spirits and broken minds. And that's the second cup, right? The promise of freedom. I'm going to save you, and then I'm going to set you free. And then he says this, I'm going to proclaim freedom to those in bondage. Right again, second cup. I'm going to come down and proclaim freedom. I'm going to heal your heart because it starts with an inside work, right? I'm going to take care of your inside before I take care of your outside. Most of us want our outside to change before the inside ever changes. But it just doesn't work that way. And so to proclaim freedom to those in bondage, he was released from bondage, forgiveness of sins. And I love this. This comes straight from a biblical dictionary. To let us go as if the sins had never been committed. Whew. Let that sink in. What is Jesus saying? I'm going to treat you because of what I'll do on the cross. And I'll be resurrected three days later. I'm going to treat you, or God is going to treat you as if you never committed any sin. Well, how can he do that? Because Jesus came to take the punishment and the penalty for all your sins. That's good news. I don't know about you, but that, that's, that's worth contemplating. And then when you can, get excited for. And I'm going to tell you this. You will never understand that with your logical mind. Because logically, it doesn't make sense. Because we live in a culture and a society, if you do bad, you get bad. If you do good, you get good. If you rob a convenience store, chances are the clerk is either going to shoot you or you're going to go to prison and suffer the penalty for that decision. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that as we live on this earth and we do things and we mess up, that there aren't earthly consequences. There are earthly consequences for bad actions. But according to God and with Jesus for eternity, he is going to treat you as if you did never sin. That's good stuff. That's the gospel. Well, it sounds crazy. You're right. It does. Sounds illogical. 100%. It not, did not come from the wisdom of this world. It takes something greater than us to really connect with that and believe in that, and that's faith. 
that Jesus gives us to believe in the answer, which is himself. And then he said this. He's going to bring recovery of sight for the blind. We see various stories, and we're going to talk about one of them in particular, blind Bartimaeus, where he physically restored sight to someone. But he longs to do a much deeper work so that he could store your spiritual sight. So that you can see who he is and believe that he is who he says he is and that he came to do what he said he would do. It takes all of us are spiritually blind or have been spiritually blind at some point in our life. And it wasn't until God through the Holy Spirit came down and opened our spiritual eyes to see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. To see that there is 100% forgiveness through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That takes a miracle to believe. And that's what Jesus said he would do. And then fifth, he said that he came to release the oppressed. Again, that's freedom. That's deliverance. To release the oppressed. To set them free from their worries and their anxieties. To set them free from their addictions and all of that. To really begin to experience restoration, which is the third one. And then I love how he concludes it. The last one is to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now that is a, a statement when we read that, we have a little bit of hard time understanding. What does it mean to the acceptable year of the Lord? Now if you were Jewish and when Jesus read this, you would have got it right away. Because every 50 years, I believe, was what was called the year of Jubilee. And if I'm wrong, someone can slip me a note was a year of jubilee in which all debts would be forgiven. You know, all s- slaves would be released. It was this, this year of great celebration in which freedom came, which salvation came. And so every 50 years this would happen. And it's been going on for thousands of years in their culture. So when Jesus came and said that to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, he wasn't talking about something that would just happen every 50 years. He literally was saying that today is the day of salvation. That every single year from this point forward is going to be the year of jubilee. That the year of Jubilee was far greater and was just a shadow and a picture of what God was going to do for all time in me. That your debt of sin would be forgiven. That your slavery to sin would end. That you would be set free forever. He begins it with, I came to preach the gospel. And he concludes it with, today is the day of salvation. Why? Because Jesus is salvation and he was walking the earth. And the moment that he stepped foot on the earth was the moment that salvation was present and active and ready to be disseminated out through him to the people that would believe in him. Jesus is making an emphatic, powerful statement to every person that's there. And if you read on, the people that were around him, when he said, Today this was filled in your hearing. They were amazed and they're like, who is this man? And then he begins to tell them some things that they didn't want to hear. And it, ends with, it begins with, man, you are amazing. And then it ends with them trying to kill Jesus and throw him off a cliff. Because he said, I've come and you didn't know who I was. I came and you didn't accept me. And now I'm going to offer it to the entire world. And they didn't like that. So what Jesus is saying here is not some cute, and no disrespect, cute little Sunday school lesson. He is making a statement for eternity. This is who I came for. The broken, the hurting, the oppressed, the downtrodden, the people who don't have any idea where their ducks are. These are the people that I came for, and this is what I came to do. And I don't know about you, but I look at that and I say, those people don't deserve that. 
those people haven't done anything to qualify for that. Why in the world would you waste your time? Why in the world would you come to do that for them and they've never done anything for you? I think it comes back to this. God saying, I came to do this because number one, I created them. Number two, I love them with everything that I am. And number three, I said that I would. I made a covenant with my people and I said that I would. I created them, I loved them, I said that I would, and I'm doing everything in my power and paying the highest price in my son Jesus Christ to bring people back into a relationship with me because I want to see people saved, delivered, redeemed, and fulfilled. The four promises he made back in the book of Exodus for his, his people at that particular time have extended beyond or transcended that time and have become the fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ, and we still have the opportunity to receive that today. As we wrap this up, say, okay, Josh, this is great. Now, what do I do with all this? What do I do with this information? There's just three things I want us to do as a church. Not just in this sermon series, but for the rest of our life. That's what I want us to do. I want us to look for broken people. What do you mean? Do you think we should just look for people who dress bad? And No. I want you to be open to see the people to see people as God sees them and if you can't do that then here's here's part of the issue is that you've never really believed that you yourself were were that at one time we quickly forget that if we believe in Jesus and we're we're all made right and we're coming to church every week and we're paying our tithe and we're doing all the things that people say we should do then we're somehow really good and better than other people the only difference is is we believe in Jesus but apart from Jesus, we are the brokenhearted, those in bondage, the blind, the oppressed, and the poor. That, that's who we are. This isn't condemning. This is just the truth. That's who we are. I want us to, to believe in who Jesus is so much and that he longs to encounter people just like we were who are that way currently broken people. And you know what? God is going to use you. He's going to use you to encounter people to share the gospel. He wants to use you to preach the gospel. He wants to use you to, to recover sight for the blind spiritually. He wants to use you to bring healing into somebody's life. He wants you to be able to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Talk about what God's done for you. Talk about salvation. What are we doing this morning? We're preaching the gospel. We're proclaiming it's the acceptable year of the Lord. We're proclaiming that God is still in the business of setting blind people free healing the oppressed, the brokenhearted. He, he's still in that business today. He didn't do what he did in Jesus and said, okay, at that time I was looking for these people, now I'm looking for the people who got it all together. Second thing I want us to do is this. I want us to stop trying to clean fish before we catch them. What do I mean? Stop trying to make people get it all together before they can accept Jesus. Stop trying to qualify people with qualifications that God never put on them. Stop trying to change the way people dress and the way they think and the way they act before they come to Jesus. God never called us to change people. We can't. How many of you have been married for a long time and been trying to change the person you're sitting next to and you failed? We can't change anybody. People you work with, you've been trying to change them and they're not changing. Why? Because we try to clean fish before we catch them. 
And Jesus said that we're fishers of men, right? We just, we just cast it out there. What do we cast? We cast the message of the gospel and we let the gospel do its work, which is my third point, is let's let the gospel do the work because the gospel does best when the gospel does the work. It can remove a big burden on you that you've got to convince people, that you've got to convict people, and that you've got to convert people. That's not your job. Never has been, never will be. Holy Spirit does all, those, all three of those way better than you and I ever could. We just, we just become the, the living embodiment of the gospel. Paul told Timothy, he said this, he was the, Timothy was a young pastor of a large church, depending on Paul for some leadership and mentor, mentorship. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, there's a faithful saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came in the world to save sinners, of which I'm the chief. Paul, who experienced amazing things, right? Had a physical encounter with Jesus, knocked him off his horse and blinded him. Still remembered where he came from. Said, I was the worst. Christ came in the world to save me. And Paul was a murderer. I mean, this guy was a bad dude. But he still understood. Hey, man, this is what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't clean the fish before he caught him. And what we're going to see over the next few weeks is we're going to see that he encountered people. Counted them just the way that they were. In all of their mess, in all of their craziness, and he was right there with them, in the the dirt with them. The woman caught in the act of adultery, in the very act. Not afterwards, not before, but in the act drug before him he gets down in the dirt with her the woman at the well who has like seven husbands just has a conversation with her her life's changed Zacchaeus who who was ripping people off and cheating people and had made his money dishonestly he goes to his house and just sits with him and what you see is in each one of those encounters that those people walked away never the same those are some of the encounters we're going to talk about so what i want us to do is just repeat this let's look for broken people let's have our eyes open our hearts open and our ears open to encounter the people that jesus came for because we are those people stop trying to clean the fish just catch them and just let the gospel do the work and you'll be amazed if you just be real share what God's done for you and love people in the way that Jesus came to love people, you'll see a greater result than trying to ram something down somebody's throat, than trying to change people, than trying to demand something from them before they ever even believe. Nobody wants to do something they have to do, right? We talk about that. Nobody wants to be forced to do anything. And here's what the gospel does. It doesn't really force you to do anything. It just comes on the inside of you and begins to change you and you respond to it. You can reject it, but it's so powerful, so compelling, so amazing that you just can't help but respond. And what do you respond by? Changing. It just gets up all on the inside of you and it changes your heart and then it changes your mind and then it changes your actions. It's powerful. It is the greatest message that the world has ever heard or will ever hear. We contain the hope of the world right here. Every week we talk about the hope of the world. 
we have the ultimate elixir to the world's problems. What is it? Jesus. It's Jesus. So don't ever think that you've got to try to build upon that. Don't ever think you've got to try to mine down and find something greater and find something better. It's all about Jesus. Always has been, always will be. And wherever you go, God is. And he's always willing to extend a hand. Because the gospel has never been about man getting to God. It's always been about God coming to man through the person of Jesus. If you'd bow your heads. Two questions this morning. Number one, if you're here and you say, you know what? I would love to have a first-time encounter with Jesus. I would love for him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I have stuff in my life that I know is not right and I need forgiveness and I want to make a change. I want Jesus to come on the inside of me and, and change me. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I'd love to accept Jesus as my Savior. I'd love to give you that opportunity to shoot up your hand. I want to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but I just want to pray with you this morning. Okay, thank you. Secondly, if you're just here and you say, you know what, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe for a long time, but I just need a fresh encounter. I just need a fresh encounter with the person of Jesus Christ to know that he's still real, he's still active, and my heart just needs to be softened up a little. If that's you this morning, if you can put up your hand, I'd love to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. I just want to take a moment. If there was anybody in here who didn't raise their hand but wanted to, Father, I just thank you that you're a good and faithful God, and today is the day of salvation, and you will change the hearts of people. God, if there is anybody in here that wants to accept you this morning, invite you into their life, we just thank you for doing that work in their heart. And secondly, Father, we just come to you and every person that raised their hand, and mine included, just say, soften our hearts and help us to, to really encounter the person of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we just ask you right now to show us Jesus. That's your job. That's who you are. I pray regardless of where we're at, regardless of what we're doing, and we just have an encounter with Jesus and be transformed because when we see him we'll never be the same we'll never be the same we thank you God for what you're doing and we thank you for what you've done in Jesus and we thank you that this place is going to be a lighthouse to the community that our city will have an encounter with Jesus in your name we pray and everybody said amen Amen.